Hello, everyone. Welcome to another 15-minute devotional. This is an online video and podcast series for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. And for any viewers on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel and listeners to Melvin Gaines's Faith Channel, we appreciate you being here today. My name is Melvin Gaines. Uh, this program encourages viewers and listeners to get into God's Word and stay in His Word as you learn and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this particular program, we're going to be covering the daily reading for Wednesday, September the 13th, 2023, as part of our Wednesdays in the Word series. Amen. Uh, if you are also in, online here, you'll know that we also have a second Wednesday Bible study available for you to take a look at as well. And we encourage you to do those, those the very things. Thank you. Um, we're going to encourage participation in the two-year Bible reading plan which, by the way, you can get a copy of our two-year Bible reading plan by going to our website, akronalliance.org, and clicking on the links tab, and you'll see it right there where it's downloadable and printed out. You're able to print it out from there. Um, we want to encourage using our two-year Bible plan so that you can cover the Bible over a two-year period of time. In our devotional here, we're going to cover the readings for today and do some commentary with those readings the broadcast will be about 30 minutes, uh, but when you do the two-year Bible reading plan, where we call it a 15-minute uh, devotional, you're going to read the Bible for a 7-10-minute to, uh, to ten period of time, and then you'll, it'll leave another 5-8 to eight minutes of time for prayer and devotional over what you've read. That's why we call it the 15-minute devotional. It takes about 15 minutes a day to do it, as I had mentioned, and that's why we encourage everybody to follow a pattern where they're staying in the Word, where it only takes about 15 minutes a day for you to get a good amount of reading of God's Word. You can always read more than 15 minutes a day, but this whole purpose here is to establish good patterns of reading and studying every day. So I hope we appreciate that and that can understand what I'm saying just now. Um, so today's verses that we're going to be covering in our reading for September the 13th, according to the plan, uh, would be 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 19 through chapter 4, verses 22. And we have John chapter 5, verses 24 through 38. Psalm 106, verses 3 through 5. And we're going to cover Proverbs 23, verses 9 to 11. So that's going to be what we're reading today. In order for us to get started, though, and do it properly, it's always a good idea to go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time that you've set aside for us to now go over your word and study it, <clears throat> pardon me, and read and read it and be encouraged by what we read and see through the uh, leanings of the Holy Spirit as we go into your word and see what you're trying to say to us. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we set aside to go over your word and we appreciate all the wisdom and knowledge we can get from you. We thank you for what you're providing for us and what you do for us on a daily basis. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, turn your Bibles and electronic devices to 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 19. <clears throat> and, and again, we don't want to formalize this at all. This is a very informal process where getting into the Bible and reading it should be one of those things that's a re regular natural occurrence. And so we want to encourage that and we want to make sure that you're understanding that you have to kind of carve this time out in order to be able to spend the time in the Word. Whether it's in the morning or the afternoon <clears throat> is really up to you. Um, we recommend, honestly, in the morning because we just know that uh, as the day gets on and, and it gets a little bit tougher to do it 
by the end of the day, and sometimes you're pretty tired. And so I think you want to always try to give your best uh, when it comes to your study time with the Lord. Um, <clears throat> but uh, that's well, that's just my advice. It's not it's something that you have to necessarily take to the bank, but it is recommended. I think that's just the best way to go about it. When we look in First Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, we're going to read through the passages, as we always do, and then go back over them very quickly. So starting with 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel did proved to be reliable. And all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. Now flip over to chapter 4, verse 1. And Samuel's words went out to all the people of Israel. At that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer, and the Philistines were at Aphek. Verse 2, the Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp, and the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? And they said, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were also there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Excuse me. Verse 5. When all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud it made the ground shake. What's going on, the Philistines asked. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because the Ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We have never had to face anything like this before. Help, who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight as never before, Philistines. If you don't, we will become the Hebrew slaves just as they have been ours. Stand up like men and fight. Verse 10, so the Philistines fought desperately and Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled to their tents. The Ark of God was captured and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. Verse 12. A man from the tribe of Benjamin ran from the battlefield and arrived at Shiloh later that day. He had torn his clothes and put dust on his head to show his grief. Eli was waiting beside the road to hear the news of the battle, for his heart trembled for the safety of the Ark of God. When the messenger arrived and told what had happened, an outcry resounded through the town. What is all this noise? What is all the noise about? Eli asked. The messenger rushed over to Eli, who was 98 years old and blind. He said to Eli, I've just come from the battlefield. I was there this very day. What happened, my son? Eli demanded. Israel has been defeated by the Philistines, the messenger replied. The people have been slaughtered, and your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also killed, and the Ark of God had been captured. Verse 18, note this. 
When the messenger mentioned what had happened to the ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died, for he was old and overweight. He had been Israel's judge for 40 years. Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near her time of delivery. When she heard that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth. She died in childbirth, but before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her. Don't be afraid, they said. You have a baby boy, but she did not answer or pay attention to them. She named the child Ichabod, which means, where is the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. She named him this because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. Then she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Okay, that's First Samuel 3 verses 19 through chapter 4 verse 22 and and note that we had uh, we're just reading according to the two-year bible plan this is what the reading is for today the 13th and there are several things going on here that we need to kind of give a little bit of uh color to because we want to make sure that we understand what this is all about of course at the the first part we read about was where right after Samuel was being called by the Lord. And you have to understand that the state of Israel is one that was a lot like where we left off in the book of Judges when we did the broadcast you know, last week. And understand that this nation is so far from God. There just is not a lot of real communication with God. And we'll know that if we were just happen to read verse 1 uh, of 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. Why do you think that is? The nation of Israel was just not close to God under any circumstances. When we talk about how the people were doing whatever they wanted to do, we recognize that God had chosen Samuel to communicate with Samuel and give prophecy and be the prophet, the new prophet emerging on the scene. And when he uh, was being spoken to by God, it was at a, a point or a place where um, there would have had to have been some sort of maturity. He was not a little boy. He was a young man. He may have been an early teenager or something to that effect. But the fact is, is that he was still a child. He wasn't an adult yet. But all of the information that Samuel was going to be receiving from God, including... The fact that he had never heard from God before, he had to have an understanding of who God was. And it was because God was speaking to Samuel, Samuel had to accept what God was saying to him and relay it and, and convey it very accurately. But notice how it says at the, the first part of the reading where we read about today, um, Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. Why? Because what he was saying was reliable. The things that God was relaying to Samuel were, were deemed truthful. And people were uh, listening at least to Samuel from that standpoint, uh, even if they weren't really necessarily listening to what God was saying to them. But he was called as a prophet at that point. And when you go over into chapter 4, Samuel's words went out to all the people of Israel. And uh, this prophecy that was taking place now, you have to understand too, um, they were in conflict, in the middle of conflict with the Philistines. This was an ongoing conflict. 
And notice how the Philistines had attacked and, and pretty much had decimated the Israelites. Now, the, the thing that's really notable here is that they felt, the, the, the people who were being defeated, the Israelites, felt it was necessary to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the battle with them. They were treating the Ark of the Covenant as some sort of a token or some sort of an uh, idol on its own, as if this was going to be uh, the reason that they were going to have victory over the Philistines. Notice there's no, nothing in the dialogue here that we can see where they ever actually appealed to God about the battle they were going into. They just made an assumption. But this is pretty typical about what the people were doing. They were not practicing uh, what it is to have a true relationship with the Lord or actually speaking to him or imploring him, praying to him, seeking him out. The various things that we see here, it's, it's info- important for us to understand that we, even as believers in Jesus, still have to maintain this dialogue with God through prayer. And what's one of the most important things that we can do as a people? Stay in his word. He is communicating to us through his word. He's letting us know right here uh, the fallacy uh, surrounding what the Israelites did when they tried to go into battle with the Philistines thinking that just carrying the ark with them was going to get it done, um, it was not going to work. And even the Philistines were in a panic because they knew exactly what had happened uh, when the Israelites really allowed God to work and be with them where they would be rescued. Remember, it just says, they are the same, verse 8, they are the same gods, you know, no, they're not giving calling God God by himself, but they're referring to the gods. They're saying these are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Do you see exactly what the knowledge of what had happened when God rescued the Philistines, the, uh, pardon me, the Israelites from the Egyptians? The, the Philistines knew all of this. They were well aware of this, and yet at the end of the day, they knew they had to fight for their lives, and they actually prevailed. Why? Because... The Israelites were not seeking godly wisdom, seeking God for what needed to take place uh, and relying upon God to give them victory. And Eli, of course, he, he wasn't so much that he was disturbed when he was finally told what had happened on the battlefield. But when he learned that the Ark of God was, ca- uh, was captured, that's when he fell over backward and died. Um, and he, it, it's really interesting about the family relationship that he had between Eli and and Hophni, which is uh, not a very good one. Um, we can tell that. They didn't really listen to him, uh, his and Eli's words, and they just kind of ignored him. And at the end of the day, uh, that family is broken apart now. Eli's daughter um, also heard, when she did hear that all the things that took place, she went ahead and uh, went into labor and died in childbirth. But the most important thing we need to see here is that in verse 21, Going back to it again, um, when we referred to Eli's daughter, daughter-in-law, she said, Israel's glory is gone because she named the child that was born Ichabod, meaning where is the glory? A very true point in verse 22, then she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. And that was true. That was essentially true. Israel Uh, God had taken his hand away and allowed the Philistines to do whatever was necessary to try to get the people's attention. They didn't seem to get it. They didn't seem to understand it. And we learn more about how this is a transition, frankly, from where 
the people of Israel were involved with more of a theocracy where they were allowing priests to rule. Uh, now we're moving to a monarchy where we're going to be talking about a king. The people of Israel are going to want to kind of copy off of what other nations have done, and they're going to want a king rather than recognizing God as their uh, ruler. So we're going to see this over time as you continue the reading, and you'll understand that they're going to experience defeat and and more defeat for the time being that we read about in Scripture. It's a very dark time uh, for the Israelites because of what had taken place. And it just seems that the Lord has keeps showing us, even through the, the, the fact that they were in captivity, they had to be rescued from captivity by God. They were in captivity again uh, in different areas with, uh, of course, the Philistines. They were in captivity during the book of Judges that we read about, and yet God always sent someone to answer their prayers and calls. But here, the one thing we don't see, we don't see these people coming to God or praying to him for anything right now. They're just doing stuff, and it's not working out very well. May we learn a lesson from that. May we learn that we need to call on the Lord to do the, uh, to help us when we make decisions or go about our business. We should be always calling on him and seeking him out in prayer. Um, that is the the best lesson I can give you today. Of course, you can spend more time in this and pray about it as you go through it. But um, sometimes reading the Bible and seeing how God is communicating with us as he's showing us, sometimes these lessons need to be learned for those who uh, choose to go their own way. We have a lot of people in the world today who are going their own way. Amen. All right, let's go over to John chapter 5. Just keep moving things along. John chapter 5, we're going to read through verses 24 through 38. This is going to be all dialogue coming from Jesus. And Jesus in, is in the throes of explaining who he is uh, to the people who are listening, his disciples, the people who are listening in the crowds, whoever is around him. Um, he's making declarations. But let's read the passage, John chapter 5, verses 24 through 38. That's the passage for today. Starting at verse 24 in John chapter 5, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone, because he is the Son of Man. Don't be surprised. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. That's an amazing statement there, so kind of latch onto that a little bit. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Verse 30, I, cannot do, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just, because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me, and I assure you that everything he says about me is true. 
verse 33. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they proved that he sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. Okay. So that is the passage today, John chapter 5, verses 24 through 38. So he's making claims, first of all, um, going back to the top here. In verse 24, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Well, that's just a formal statement. That is, he is saying that he is on the same level with God because he is God. Uh, He is, uh, of course, God the Son. He is being responsive to God the Father. There is a perfect harmony between God the Father and God the Son. Um, This was something that was planned long ago, that he would be sent to the earth to do what? To be the one who would be the eternal sacrifice for all of our sins, the sins that have been committed past, present, and future. So he's making that declaration as to who he is, and he's establishing this. Of course, the audience is going to be the Pharisees, the people who are listening in the crowd, and many people did would believe him when he said things, but there are others that chose not to believe, and and but he's still making a declaration because in all fairness you need to know exactly what you're declaring for and what you're going after when we're talking about who Jesus Christ is people need to understand who he is and make a decision based upon what they know and understand about who he is and i think that's the challenge that we have uh as a people when it comes to there are people who can have a basic knowledge of who god is there are people who Um, make distinctions between who Jesus is and who God is. They don't assign Jesus the the, the proper divinity, um, the authority that he has to be the one to to pay for our sins on the cross. People have all kinds of different ideas about who Jesus is. But Jesus reveals to us in his word who he is. Verse 26 says, The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. Meaning, he has the authority to represent on our behalf the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for our sins before God the Father. He has this authority. He has this ability to do those very things. So that's one claim. Um, And understand that he is the one who has the ability to say that he can... Uh, extend eternal life to anyone who believes in him. And so he is the one where this testimony is being made before the people. And notice it says in John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. And the fact that he is mentioning before, and I almost forgot about this. I didn't want to do that. There's a time that's coming where he says in the scripture, when the dead in the graves will hear the voice of God's son. Guess why? 
because that's going to be the time when Jesus returns again and he is going to make a declaration um, for people to come to him, people to come to him and rally to him and they will rise again. This is the uh, coming resurrection. The fact that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, he was the perfect first fruits of our resurrection. So when he was resurrected, we know that now we will have the ability also uh, because we are going to become more like him to be resurrected as well and spend time with him for all eternity. He has that power and authority. I didn't want to miss that, and I want to make sure that you are aware that that should be covered. This testimony uh, covers a lot of ground here, too. And another thing that he's saying here towards the end of this passage, and of course, please take the time to read more of this. I can't go through all of it. But verse 36, I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish and prove that he sent me. And the Father who has sent me has testified about me himself. You've never heard his voice or seen him face to face. You don't have his message in his hearts because you do not believe me. The one he has sent you. The one he sent to you. This is the Pharisees he's speaking to. They don't believe. Even though they know about a Messiah that's coming. Even though they know about it from the word that they have read. All throughout the Old Testament, there's been prophecy about the coming Messiah, right? And they have chosen not to believe in him. And that's what Jesus is declaring to do because they know that he knows the hearts of every person. And so I want you to spend some time in the word with this passage and pray about what God is speaking to you about and revealing to you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to understand and know exactly what that relationship is all about. You need to have an understanding of what Jesus is for us, what he means to us and spend some time in prayer with him and learning more about him. And, of course, the best way to do that is by just reading and studying Scripture on a daily basis, which is what we're practicing here today. Okay, let's go to Psalm 106. Psalm 106, verses 3 through 5. Psalm 106, verses 3 through 5. When you read in Psalms, there are a lot of uh, points of communication, especially from a historic standpoint, about how these Psalms are referring to communication that uh, David might be having with the Lord. And, but, and I think that that's part of what we're seeing here. Um, but let's look at the passage. Psalm 106, verse 3. There is joy for those who deal justly with others and always do what is right. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come near and rescue me. Let me share in the prosperity of your chosen ones. Let me rejoice in the joy of your people. Let me praise you with those who are your heritage. Now, this is a a passage here that um, it's worth looking at the fact that It's a historic psalm that we're referring to, and it talks about when the children of Israel are also going through the wilderness. There's usually double meanings in these passages, and and we want to recognize that too, but we want to see that this is also talking about how we're looking at recognizing that there are people who are going to be obedient to the Lord and people who aren't. 
the the ones the composer of this psalm is the one who wants to have this close relationship with the Lord because he's saying back in verse 3 there is joy for those who deal justly with others and also always do what is right and we want to always make a distinction and, and not be separatists but be people who recognize that people who do the right thing are going to be justly rewarded by Jesus by the Lord they are going to be the ones who are going to be recognized for what they do. And people who see people doing the right thing will recognize it for what it really is, too. Let's face it, in this world today, people choose to do wrong um, as much as they choose to do what's right. They make a choice to do what's wrong. Verse 4 says, Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come near and rescue me. Uh, hey, protect me from this world we're living in. Lord, I want to do what's right, but sometimes people who do what's right... They aren't very well liked. They are not uh, in much in the same way in a Bible study that we're talking about how Cain was jealous of Abel because Abel did what was right and Cain did what was wrong and didn't seem to care much about what he was doing as being wrong, that God wouldn't accept him for that. And so rather than saying, okay, Lord, I'll do what's right, he just decides to get angry and ticked off and jealous about what Abel has done. Well, that's not the proper response. The proper response is just do what's right. So, verse 5 again in Psalm 106. Let me share in the prosperity of your chosen ones. Let me rejoice in the joy of your people. Let me praise you with those who are your heritage. You want to be with like-minded people who desire to do what's right just like you do so you want to be in fellowship with those people the word don't let the word prosperity throw you off either too we're not necessarily talking about prosperity when it comes to riches or money we're talking about prosperity because of the relationship you have with the lord jesus christ the prosperity is in that you have eternal life you have something you have something that god is giving to you because you indeed trust in him as your personal lord and savior so i want to make that clear too um that the passage is referring to not about riches per se. It's more about the relationship, a fruitful relationship you have with God. There are fruits that you bear as a result of that because you are indeed are trusting in the Holy Spirit to be the one to help you to bear those fruits with others. And have that fellowship time. It's very valuable to be with people who choose to do what's right. Amen. Okay, last passage for today, Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23, verses 9 to 11. Proverbs 23, verses 9 to 11. It's important to note uh, here that Proverbs uh, essentially is advice that is being recorded and shared with others, uh, shared with people who are reading it. Um, just like if you're in school and you're in a classroom, and so these statements... Um, they're going to seem repetitive at times, but I think sometimes that's just for emphasis. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. Socks, Proverbs 23, verse 9. Don't waste your breath on fools, for they will despise the wisest advice. Don't cheat your neighbor by moving the ancient boundary markers. Don't take the land of defenseless orphans, for their Redeemer is strong. He himself will bring their charges against you. Okay. The key uh, verse here is verse 11 for their Redeemer. Redeemer is in a capital letter. 
That means that it's not about thinking like you're going to waste your breath on. Don't don't spend time or worry about what fools are doing. Fools are not going to be helpful for you. Don't cheat people out of something that they have earned or owned. You're going to pay for that one day. That's coming from the Redeemer. That's coming from God himself. He, he knows what all of us are doing at all times. Amen. And that's really what it comes down to. And we want to make sure that we are understanding that this charge is being made for against uh, the people um, who decide to cheat people. They're not going to get away with it. They're not going to in any way, shape, or form. Um, it's not lost on the Lord what's taking place. They think they might be able to do something and not get caught. But God knows all about it. I think we need to learn a lesson as a people, honestly. When it comes to what God is doing in our lives, we need to recognize that um, he is aware of everything. And he is aware of when we are indeed behaving well, being obedient to his word, and when we're not behaving well. We see the testimony of this by looking at what we just read in First Samuel. We see that if you're not paying attention to what God is doing and you think you're going about your business and everything is good, but you're not really relying upon God's wisdom, it's going to cost you greatly. And there is a cost involved for those who choose to um, not follow godly wisdom, those who choose to cheat neighbors, those who cheat other people out of things. They think they're going to get away with something. There's going to be a penalty that they're going to have to pay. And I'm going to leave that up to the Lord because that's exactly what he says he's going to do. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We're able to get into your word for just a little while and just see what you have to say to us. We thank you, Lord, for your presence and your teaching. We ask that you bless us now. Encourage us to stay in your word. Stay in the study. Stay and look at commentaries and, and be more involved in prayer with you as to what we've been reading and what we learn. Lord, it it's never ceases to amaze me that we can go back over passages over and over again over time. And you'll teach us something new, even if we've seen it before. And we thank you for that, too. That's all coming from you. We give you praise and thanks, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me for this 15-minute devotional. We appreciate you being here this week. Um, thanks again for being here uh, as part of our Wednesdays in the Word series. As I had mentioned earlier, we have a Bible study also online available today for you to uh, take part in and listen to. We appreciate you doing that. And, of course, if you have, want more information about Akron Alliance Fellowship Church, akronalliance.org. We appreciate you being here. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you next time.